What amazing love the Savior has for us. Amen? That Christ would die while we were yet sinners. On our behalf. I want to remind you that we are in the midst of um, a series called God's Will for You. Uh, I want you to know, though, that the constant diet that we're going to have uh, in our sermons will be through books of the Bible. We just finished up the book of Mark, and we're going through this five- or six-week series on the will of God. And then, Lord willing, at the beginning of the new year, we'll jump into another book of the Bible. I think, I'm thinking at this point it will be Philippians, and so I'll be looking forward to that study as well. Well, I still remember years ago, before I was a pastor, having to do something nobody wants to do confront a friend, a Christian brother, who was clearly and defiantly going against God's revealed word, going against the scriptures. He was married uh, with two children, and he was dating another woman who also went to our church. But it seemed no matter how much we prayed for him, no, how much, no matter how many people went and spoke to him trying to talk some sense into him, he wouldn't, he wouldn't listen. He would not repent of this sin and turn away from it. I'm sure I don't know all the reasons, but I think I know one of them. I think part of it was that he had this idea of God's will, something that he looked for within his own heart. And he felt like, deep in his heart, he felt like this was what God wanted him to do. Maybe he thought he had married the wrong woman a long time ago. But this is something he felt like was the right thing to do, and he felt like it was God's will for him in that situation. I've heard of other situations as well, where a person who claimed to be a Christian was clearly going against God's word, going against God's revealed moral will. But it felt like in their specific situation, in this instance, it was different. And this was actually what God wanted them, them to do. Well, how did we get to such a place? How did we get there? To a place where we can disobey God's word and at the same time feel like we are doing what God wants. And I'll point this uh, example out as an illustration, not to be down on him, because the truth is we all do it. We see God's word revealed to us and specific moral instructions, and yet we think in our situation things must be different. I think one reason we do this, of course it's because we are sinners and we have deceptive hearts and we, we do these things, but I think there's something else to it. I think it's because there's a misunderstanding about how we can know God's will. We've come to think about it in terms of looking for something in our own hearts or as something we have to try to discover or as something... God is going to whisper to us when we finally learn to hear His voice. This morning, I hope we will learn and understand that God's will for us has been clearly revealed to us. And we have to look no further than in the words and pages of Scripture. So we're continuing our series on God's will. The question we think about often is, what is God's will? What is God's will for me? But I'm convinced many times we're not thinking about it in a biblical way. Last week we spoke about the sovereign will of God. Do you remember what the sovereign will of God is? The sovereign uh, will of God is hidden. We don't know it. 
and it refers to the fact that God is in control of all things and that He is working to fulfill His plan for His own glory and for the salvation of His people. Can His plan be thwarted by Satan or by demons? What do you think? No, He will fulfill all that He wants to accomplish. He is God and there is no other. This morning we'll continue thinking about that question. What is God's will? But today we'll focus on something called the moral will of God. Something that is revealed to us, not hidden. And I'd like to argue that this is what we should be focusing on when we're thinking about God's will for us. The moral will of God. And I also want to argue that we should do away with the idea of trying to discover what God's personal will for our lives is because this is not found in the Scriptures. The command to, to figure it out like that is not found in the Scriptures either. But first, let's look at what is called the moral will of God. What is God's moral will? Well, it refers to the commands that are written in the Bible concerning our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Gary Friesen, the author of a book called Decision Making and the Will of God, writes this, God's instructions are always fair, and they bear careful reading. Those instructions which are clearly set forth in the Bible constitute the moral will of God. God's moral will is the perfect and complete guide for the Christian's faith and practice. So unlike God's sovereign will, God's moral will is something that is completely known to us, revealed in the pages of Scripture. If God wants us to behave in a certain way or believe a certain thing, He's shown it to us in His Word. The word for that is sufficient. Can you say that word? Sufficient. Sufficient. Let's try it one more time. Sufficient. God's Word is sufficient. That means it gives us enough information. It tells us what we need to know. The Bible is sufficient to tell us what we need to do and what we need to believe in order to please God. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. It's a familiar passage probably to many of you. And it speaks about the sufficiency of the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In this passage, Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. He's, he's challenging him, charging him, hold fast to the Scriptures. You remember this is how you were saved, Timothy. People shared with you from the Scriptures how you could be saved through faith in Jesus. And not only that, these Scriptures are, are useful for correcting wrong belief, for correcting wrong behavior, for training in righteousness, for guiding us in how we ought to believe. Hold fast to the Scriptures. These are sufficient 
for you. These are sufficient so that you can know how to please God. Look at verse 17. So that, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Another version says that these scriptures are profitable and useful so that the man of God may be complete or perfect. So that the man of God may be complete, ready for every good work. Notice it's completeness, maturity, ready for every single good work that God has in store for him. What this teaches us is that Scripture is absolutely sufficient. It's absolutely enough to tell us what will and will not please God. We need no other source. If we want to know how to please God, we should look to the Scriptures. And we know further that all of God's revealed law can be summed up in a couple brief sentences. According to the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What is God's will for your life? What is God's will for your life? What is it but that you love? What is it but that you love God with every ounce of your being and love your neighbor as yourself? Love others as you would have them love you. This is the will of God for you that you love God and others. You see, so much of our trying to discover God's will for our life has to do with personal fulfillment rather than love for God and others. Think about that. Our search for the will of God usually has more to do with personal fulfillment rather than love for God or love for others. We're asking, how can I get God's best for me? How can I be fulfilled? Rather than, how can I love God the most in this situation? Rather than, how can I love others in this circumstance and in this decision I'm about to make? For instance, the man at the beginning of my sermon was asking the question, how do I get fulfilled? What decisions do I need to make in order that I can be happy? But he should have asked different questions, shouldn't he? He should have asked, how can I love God in this situation? How can I love my wife in this situation? How can I love my kids and my church family in this situation? And then he would have repented of his sin and turned again to Christ and turned to his brothers and sisters saying, I'm sorry. What I was doing was not motivated by love, but by a desire for personal fulfillment. And he would have been fulfilling God's will for him in that repentance. He would have fulfilled God's moral will by loving God and loving others. There's a story in the Old Testament about a king named Josiah. You might be familiar with that. It's a popular story that we tell to our children. He was a good king. And according to Scripture, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. King Josiah took up money and used it to rebuild the temple of God and tear down all the other idols that the other kings had raised up. In the process of the repairs, though, Hilkiah, the high priest, found a book. 
You remember that story? He found a book in the temple, the book of the law. And he sent word to Josiah. 2 Kings 22, 10 through 13 says this, Then then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. A sign of sorrow and repentance, of grieving. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and others, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Later, the scripture tells us that Josiah gathered all the people of Israel together and read the book out loud. And it says, And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people joined together in the covenant. What we need today is for Christians to recover the scriptures. Now we haven't lost them, have we? Each one of us has at least one copy, maybe multiple copies. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, go ahead and take one of ours that's in the pew. We have Bibles everywhere. We have not lost the word of God. Our problem isn't that we've lost it that we have ignored it. We have ignored God's Word. How much more wrath should God pour out on us because we have ignored it and not simply lost it? We need to come to the Lord in repentance and confess to Him the ways in which we have not obeyed His words. The ways in which, even though we knew what the right thing to do was, we went the other way. We have to familiar familiarize ourselves with the commands of God and not just the commands of our culture or or religious people. We tend to think of holiness as things we don't do. We don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't dance, we don't murder, we don't steal. Enough of what you don't do, what do you do? Positively keeping the commands of the Lord. Now we should continue to keep ourselves, as James says, unstained from the world. But we also should focus on what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law. Listen to his scolding of the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. How are you positively obeying the law of God? Not just in what you avoid, but in what you do, in loving God and in loving others. See, the law touches every single aspect of our lives. It's not just about our outward actions, it's about our thoughts and attitudes as well. The motivations and intentions of our heart. The moral will of God is comprehensive and demands obedience from us in thought, word, and deed. And it applies to both Christians and non-Christians. For non-Christians, if you are not a Christian, 
The moral will of God is that you would repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. So if you're not a Christian and you're asking, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do today? Then here's the answer. It is God's will that you would turn from your sins and live. It is God's will that you would know that you are a sinner deserving punishment in hell. It is God's will that you understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners like you. It's God's will that you would rely on Him alone and be saved. Christians, we who have already been saved completely by grace, not by our own works or by our own doing, although we didn't deserve it, what is God's will for us? You may be wondering, what is God's will for you? Listen to the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. And later in chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will for us believers is our sanctification. That we would grow in the likeness of Christ and in in holiness like our Father. It's that we would become more like Him. And we would be right to put our focus here rather than on trying to discover God's hidden will, His sovereign will. That will be carried out. I know some of you might be thinking, yes, but doesn't God guide us? Doesn't God lead us? Shouldn't we seek God's will when making decisions? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And of course, but the question isn't, does He guide us? But how does He guide us? How does God guide us? And that's going to be a topic we're going to look at, as you see in your bulletin, the next two Sundays. How does God guide us? But in answer to this question, some have said that He guides us by giving us impressions or nudges in our heart, or that it gives some sort of sign which way we should go. God can do that, and He does from time to time. But, for instance, say a guy is dating a girl and he really loves her, but he's not really sure if this is the one for him, if she's the one for him. Is he supposed to marry her? Or is there some other woman out there he's supposed to marry? What should he do? He wants to please God. So how can he make a decision that pleases God? Well, this sort of thinking would say that he should really, really pray about and and listen to the voice of God in his heart. To listen in his heart. And then God will reveal to him whether or not this is the one he's supposed to marry. We'll see in the next few weeks that wisdom is a much better guide from the Lord. And that his, his word is a much better guide. But the problem with the other view is that we see this nowhere in Scripture. This sort of guidance isn't taught in the Word of God. Now, there is a specific individual will for each person. We just don't know what it is. Remember, that's God's sovereign will 
that He will accomplish. But it's not something He expects us to discover. I read a news story the other day that went like this. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that confirmation, his wife Ruby said. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure, and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way, Ruby says. He was very sensitive to always remain in God's will. That was primary to him. Friends say they liked Walter, though he seemed not to capitalize on his talents. He had a number of skills he never got around to using, says longtime friend Timothy Burns. He worked very well with Wood and had a storyteller side to him, too. I always told him, take a risk. Try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. Now, obviously, this is a joke of a story. It was on a satire website. But it illustrates an important point, which is this. Many Christians waste time trying to figure out what God would have them to do when He's already told them in His Word. When He has already told them as Friesen says again, the only will of God that must be discovered was never lost. It's just ignored. We don't have to wonder what God's will for our lives is. He has told us. It's our sanctification. And I hope you realize what freedom this gives us in our decision making. To go to the Word of God, to find wisdom from the Word of God, to pray, asking that the Lord would lead us in our wisdom and lead us in our decision-making, and then make a decision, one that will be pleasing to the Lord, one motivated out of love for God and love for others. What would, what would show the most love to God in this situation? What would show the most love to my neighbor in this situation? The Scripture speaks of God's will in at least two senses, God's sovereign will and His moral will. God's sovereign will is individual and specific, but it's also secret. It's not something we can find out. And as we saw last week, understanding that God has a sovereign will challenges us to trust Him. We, we're not in control. How many of you have figured that out already? We are not in control. God is. We, our plans won't have the last word. God's will. And we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what 30 minutes from now holds. And yet God does. So let us trust Him. Let us trust Him. On the other hand, God's moral will is something that's completely revealed to us in the Scriptures. The moral will of God is not a mystery to us. In this sense, we know what God's will is for us. And yet we fail to do it. We fail to keep His Word. We know that it's God's will that we would worship God only and that we would gather weekly with the people of God to praise Him and to hear from His Word. We know that it's God's will to keep the Sabbath. We know that it's God's will that we not hate others but seek their good. We know that it's God's will that we remain pure and free from lust. We know it's God's will to speak the truth and not to hurt others with our words. 
We know that it's God's will that we should love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We know all this, and yet we fail to do it. God's sovereign will challenges us to trust in God. God's moral will challenges us to obey God. And you know, for sinners like us, that's pretty difficult. Which one of us can love God with every ounce of our being every second of the day? We can't do it. There's a children's book called A Porcupine Named Fluffy. You ever seen that book? A Porcupine Named Fluffy. After several unfortunate events, he became suspicious that he wasn't fluffy at all. But he wanted to be fluffy. So he tried hard to be fluffy. He imagined he was a cloud, but he couldn't stay up in the air. He tried to be a pillow, but when his mom sat down on him, she didn't like that too much. He tried soaking in a hot tub for a long time. He ate lots of marshmallows. He covered himself in shaving cream and feathers. But for all of his effort, no matter how hard he tried, Fluffy wasn't. And it seems to me that we sinful human beings are a lot like Fluffy. We do want to be good. There's something in us that knows we should be good. That we, we know we should be righteous. That God expects righteousness from us and we're not so sometimes we pretend that we're good we pretend that we're not sinful we put on masks to to try to hide our sin we can't fool God we might make a long list of do's and don'ts and try really really hard to keep them some religious people might immerse themselves in church activity doing this and doing that, trying to do more and more good to hide the fact that they are sinful, to make up for their sinfulness. They think the more they do for God, the better they will be. Sometimes we make this a strategy for our kids. If we keep them busy enough, they won't get into trouble. And that might work for a little while. But does it change the heart of the matter? Does it change the root, the deeper issue? We are sinners and we cannot change no matter how hard we try. It's written in the prophet Jeremiah that just as the leopard cannot change his spots, the zebra can't change his stripes, we too who are accustomed to doing evil cannot do right. We cannot be righteous in the sight of God and because of that we must be rejected by a righteous God. Justice served would mean we were punished. We are sinful and we can't do otherwise. God demands perfect righteousness and we're not even close. On our own, we are helplessly doomed to death and destruction. The leopard can't change his spots. We can't change our sinfulness. But God can. God can change. The worst sinner. The chief of sinners. But the answer is not trying harder or doing more, but realizing just how helpless we are and how, in need of a, how much in need of a Savior we are. We read the answer in Ezekiel 36, 24-27. Listen to the promise God makes there. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. We are cleansed from our sinfulness only by the blood of Jesus. He is the righteous one. And He is the only one who can present us as righteous before a holy God. If you repent of your sins today and trust in Jesus who died on the cross to save you, then He will forgive you. He will sprinkle you clean by His blood. He will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And He will remove your sinful heart of stone and give you a heart that beats for Him. And that that beats to do His will. That beats to obey Him. He will put His Spirit in you and move you to follow His decrees and to make you careful to obey His laws. Does that resonate with your heart? Does your heart shout, Yes, I want to know God's Word and I want to do God's Word. I want to obey Him. Even though I find myself breaking His law, I want to obey Him. This this has happened to me. The Lord has taken my heart of stone out and replaced it with a heart of flesh. I want to serve Him with everything that I've got. I pray that your heart does resonate with that because this is the heart He has given to His people. He has saved us. He has made us willing to walk in His ways. But if not, if you don't have a desire to do His will, to obey His commands, then it may be evidence that you still have a heart of stone. You need to understand there's nothing you can do on your own to change your heart, to change your your solid, hard, rock heart into something that beats for God. You can't change that. No amount of pretending, no amount of work or striving can change that. Only God can do that. Only God can take His Word by the power of the Spirit and break your heart over your sin, shattering the cold, dead, lifeless heart. Only God can do that. And the way He does that is by showing you your sin and the wrath that you deserve because of your offenses against Him. And by showing you the one who died for sinners like us. By showing you the one who willingly stretched out His arms and had His hands and feet nailed to a piece of wood. He calls you now to not only see your sin, but to weep over your sin. To have a tremendous sorrow that you have broken His law, that you have offended His nature. He calls you to turn away from your sin for good, once and for all. To make a decisive change in your life that you'll no longer walk in your own way, but you will turn and walk in His ways. Trust in the one who can make you clean. The only one who can make you clean. And you will be changed. You'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. And then with your new heart, you will want to walk in His ways. You will want to obey His will. You want to know His will. You'll want to know His word so that you can obey your Heavenly Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to do that in His people.
Our Heavenly Father, we pray to you as sinners, as those who have broken your law. And yet we pray as ones who are amazed by your love for us. For we know that you showed your love by sending your only Son to die on the cross that whoever believes in you, whoever believes in you, will not die but have everlasting life. Father, I pray that you would draw the eyes of our hearts to Jesus hanging on the cross for our sake. Lord, stir up the heart of the unbeliever here this morning. Stir up the heart of the one who doesn't know you. That he would come to see his sin in all of its ugliness and that he would repent and trust in Jesus. Work in the hearts of your children as well, Father. That you would help us to waste time no longer, but to take risks for your glory. To obey your word by teaching our grandchildren your ways, to obey your will by, by keeping unstained from the wor world, and as James says, caring for widows and orphans in their distress. Father, make us a people willing to do your will, willing to obey your word, that you would receive glory and that we would shine like bright stars in this dark world and that others would see our good works and glorify you as well. We pray these things in the name of our Savior who did everything that was necessary for our salvation. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.